Hello, welcome to How Haunted. Before we begin this week's episode, I wanted to acknowledge that the day after this episode is released, the 2nd of September, is the first birthday of the launch of How Haunted. I want to take the time to thank everybody who's ever downloaded an episode. It's been incredibly hard work, but knowing that people are listening and enjoying the episodes keeps me going. To commemorate this milestone, I've released something a little bit special over on the Patreon. I've called it Episode 1 Remastered. Episode 1 looked at the Covenanters prison in Greyfriars Kirkyard in Edinburgh. This was my first ever episode, and it culminated in me investigating the Covenanters prison, a place nobody's allowed to investigate, or even access, due to the council being forced to lock it to the public, following a series of attacks of increasing ferocity and regularity. In this updated version of Episode 1, I've added a little over 15 minutes of actual audio from that night. You'll hear me inside the Black Mausoleum, challenging bloody George Mackenzie to do his worst. This episode will be available from the 2nd of September 2023 over on the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash howhauntedpod. And this will be available to all tiers, including the £1 tier. What's more, there's now a free 7-day trial for the £3 tier. So if you did want to listen to this new version of episode 1, as well as all of the special monthly episodes where I conduct a paranormal investigation, accompanied by audio from the night itself, then you can get access to all of this extra content for a week, completely free of charge. Once again, thank you so much for continuing to support the podcast. It means the world to me. And without further ado, on with this week's show. Kirkup. Welcome to How Haunted, a weekly paranormal podcast where each episode we explore the horrible history and terrifying ghost stories of one of the scariest places on the planet. In episode 52, we head into the heart of a county which has had its history and landscape shaped by the effects of wars, skirmishes, bloodshed, torture, suffering and death. And it's the castles here that are our focus. Those ancient battle-scarred fortresses that were once pivotal to the defence of England's most northerly county. This week, we ask, just how haunted are the castles of Northumberland? Listener discretion is advised, as each episode of How Haunted will feature gruesome tales, horrific happenings, bloody murder and ghosts. So many ghosts. Listen on if you dare. The beautiful county of Northumberland, situated on the English-Scottish border, has a rich, yet troubled history that lends itself perfectly to the subject of myths, legends and ghosts. Northumberland has witnessed all manner of horrendous bloody events, such as the Anglo-Scottish Wars from the early 14th century until the Union of the Crown in 1603, and this saw countless English and Scottish men, women and children tortured, maimed and killed. Then by 1513, the English and the Scottish were at war once again, 
and Flodden Field was the location of the bloodiest battle ever in the history of England, where 14,000 people were killed in the space of just three hours. This included King James IV of Scotland. Then there was the Viking raid of the Holy Island of Lindisfarne in 793 AD, the first Viking assault seen in the British Isles, which marked the very beginning of the Viking Age in Europe. Evidence of these war-torn times pepper the Northumbrian landscape, and the desperate need for defence against these invaders, both foreign and domestic, is one of the reasons that Northumberland has 70 castles, the most of any county in England. An air of mystery is added to Northumberland, due to it largely being so wild and remote. It is the least populated county in England, with only 62 people per square kilometre. Today, Northumberland is a peaceful and tranquil place, but its turbulent past continues to fascinate and intrigue visitors from all over the world. This week, in the first of a two-part special, we will look at some of the ancient castles to be found in Northumberland, and in particular, those that are claimed to be haunted. There are some notable absentees, as Chillingham Castle was the focus of episode 3, Dunstanborough Castle was covered in episode 15, and Edlingham Castle was episode 31. There's also the first bonus Patreon episode, which is available on the standard podcast feed, and features a paranormal investigation at Chillingham Castle. This is complete with audio from the night itself. So without further ado, allow me to be your guide, as we turn our attention to the haunted castles of Northumberland. Kielder Castle Kielder is a remote village in the far north of Northumberland, less than three miles from the Scottish border. It only has a population of around 200, but visitors flock to Kielder all year round. Kielder is famed for its dark skies, as it is one of the darkest areas in all of Europe, and the fourth darkest in the world. This is due to the lack of light pollution, which has seen it awarded protected status by the International Dark Skies Association, the leading international organisation working to combat light pollution worldwide. The dark sky zone of Akilda is almost 580 square miles, and it's the second largest area of protected night sky in Europe. With your naked eye, you can experience a truly dark sky here, something that around 85% of the UK population have never experienced. A sky filled with billions of stars, and you can even see the shadows of the Milky Way and Jupiter. The CPRE countryside charity has said that Kielder is the best place to stargaze in the UK. Kielder Observatory, high up on Blackfell overlooking Kielder Water, is understandably popular, and on those nights when the sky is awash with the northern lights, it's a spectacle that will stay with visitors for a lifetime. Kielder also draws visitors from all over the world for its forest. Kielder Forest dates to the 1920s and 1930s, and surrounds Kielder Water Reservoir and the village of Kielder, and it's the largest man-made woodland in England, at 250 square miles. Three quarters of the woodland is comprised of forest, and due to its position away from heavy human habitation, roads and railways, it offers a wonderful sanctuary for nature to thrive. There is a wide range of animals and bird life to be found here, and 50% of the red squirrels in England call Kielder Forest home. Archaeological remains are regularly uncovered within the forest, often tied to the bloody battles during the Anglo-Scottish Wars, which were fought on land which the forest now occupies. Kielder Castle was built in 1775, 
upon land which was once a burial site dating back to around 3000 BC. It was constructed for the Duke of Northumberland as a hunting lodge and is today one of the forest's visitor centres. Kielder Castle is yet another Northumbrian castle with a number of chilling tales associated with it. Visitors and staff have told of seeing objects move all on their own and the sound of footsteps have been heard running up and down the main staircase when nobody has been there. Unexplained voices and whispering have been heard and apparitions have been seen. No one is sure who they are but there is said to be a grey lady and a servant girl named Emma resident within the castle. Little is known of their history or their ties to Kielder Castle. In 2015 a psychic visited Kielder Castle and fled the castle in terror after less than an hour inside. Hugh Percy, first Duke of Northumberland who had the castle constructed in the 18th century had a rule for his servants and that was if any female member of staff should fall pregnant they would be sacked and replaced. One of the maids, a young girl by the name of Marie, was in a secret relationship with a footman and fell pregnant. Terrified that she would lose her job and her home, she confided to the Duke's wife, Lady Charlotte. Charlotte was sympathetic to Marie's situation and promised to help her. They dressed Marie in loose-fitting clothes to hide her growing bump. Marie gave birth to the child, a baby girl. But tragically, the baby was stillborn. Marie was absolutely devastated by this and Charlotte said that she would ensure the tiny, lifeless baby was hidden so that no one would ever know of the servant girl's secret. Lady Charlotte asked Marie if she could build a fire in the fireplace and then told her to take herself to bed. When Marie had left, Charlotte placed the dead baby into the roaring fire and placed more logs into the fireplace until the fire had completely consumed the baby. Charlotte then smashed the bones that remained until they were crushed and unrecognisable. When Marie swept out the fireplace the following day, she was completely unaware that she was disposing of her own child's ashes. The spirit of this tiny baby remains at Kielder Castle today, and a ball of light is seen in the fireplace within the cafe, which is where the secret of disposal of her remains occurred. The spirit of Lady Charlotte is another spectre believed to haunt the castle, and is a friendly fandom. She's felt touching visitors on the arm or stroking their hair. She didn't die here, she passed away in London, and was laid to rest at Westminster Abbey, but has clearly returned to the building that she knew so well in life. Thirlwall Castle The haunting ruins of Thirlwall Castle stand on the banks of the Tipold Burn, near to Hadrian's Wall. The building was originally constructed in the 12th century, and in the 1330s, John Thirlwall fortified the castle, strengthening it with stone taken from the ruins of the nearby fort of Carveran on the Roman Wall. The reason for the need to be able to defend himself and his family was simple. Protection. The Thirlwalls were a wealthy family. They had amassed money, land and influence. And in 14th century England, if you had something worth taking, there would always be somebody who wanted to take it from you by whatever means necessary. John couldn't allow this to happen, so he had to ensure that his family home was a stronghold. There was also the constant threat of Scottish raids, and the English border had to be defended. On the 22nd of August 1485, Sir Percival Thirlwall of Thirlwall Castle was killed at the Battle of Bosworth while fighting in the Yorkist cause. He was Richard III's standard bearer in the final charge at Bosworth. Legend has it that even when he had his legs cut off in the battle, he continued to hold the standard of his king aloft until his dying breath. 
Several generations of the Thirlwall survived the threat of border raids, and in a survey of 1542, Thirlwall Castle was in the ownership of Robert Thirlwall and is reported as being in measurable good condition. By the mid-17th century, times were much more peaceful, and the need to defend became almost non-existent. The Thirlwalls abandoned the castle and moved 20 miles west to Hexham, where the climate was less harsh and the soil was of better quality for crop growing. Eleanor Thirlwall, the last of the Thirlwall line, married Matthew Swinburne and sold the estate of Thirlwall Castle to the Earl of Carlisle in 1748 for £4,000. However, to the Earl the castle held little value. He was only interested in the land. He allowed the castle to become overgrown and it decayed until it became a derelict shell. A lot of the castle has fallen away over the last two centuries. In 1832 and 1982, there were serious collapses of stonework, with large pieces of wall falling into the burn. It seemed likely that the castle would collapse completely until the Northumberland National Park Authority took over management of Thirlwall Castle in 1999. They took measures to preserve the ruin and make it safe to visitors. The conservation work was taken very carefully to preserve the nesting sites in the castle walls for the swifts as well as the roosting sites used by bats. Thirlwall Castle's oldest legend involves the creator of the castle, John Thirlwall. John made most of his money in overseas wars, bringing back gold and other valuables. After one particularly distant war, John returned with a magnificent table made of solid gold. With it he brought the table's guardian, a hideous looking dwarf with dark skin, the likes of which had never been seen in this part of the world before. During one Scottish raid, invaders managed to get inside the castle. The dwarf knew that the table would be stolen and he could not let that happen. He dragged the heavy table to the castle's well and threw it down the well shaft, then he jumped down after it. It is said that the dwarf remains there to this very day, haunting an underground chasm guarding his precious table. It is also believed that the only person who the dwarf will allow to take possession of the table is the only son of a widow. John Thirlwall knew nothing of the dwarf's plan to save the table, and he assumed that the table was taken by the Scots. The table was his most prized treasure, and to this very day, the shade of John Thirlwall walks the ruined castle by moonlight in search of his table made of pure gold. Blenkinsop Castle lies just one mile south of Thirlwall Castle, and during Blenkinsop's restoration, an entrance to a secret tunnel was found. It is supposed that this tunnel dates back to the Border Wars, and runs all the way to Thirlwall Castle connecting Blenkinsop to Thirlwall, so that if one of the castles should be captured by the Scots, there would be a means of escape. It's said that this tunnel is haunted by a white lady, the bride of Brian de Blenkinsop. She hid a chest filled with gold, which was the dowry paid to Brian upon their marriage. He loved the money more than her, so her revenge was to take the gold and hide it away from him. She cannot rest until somebody enters the tunnel and claims a chest of gold for themselves. In the 18th century a local boy dreamt of a lady dressed in white, standing at the foot of his bed, asking him to follow her, and he would become very rich. The young boy realised it was not a dream, when he refused to go and the ghost tried to drag him out of his bed. His screams woke his parents who came running. The ghost vanished before they arrived, and the boy lay on the bedroom floor shaking with fear. This happened every night, until the boy finally refused to stay in the castle. In 1820, a farmer discovered a small door in one of the vaults of Blenkinsop Castle. The door was locked, but the key was right there in the keyhole. 
The farmer turned the key, and the old lock resisted at first, but then creaked open. The farmer could see a long tunnel before him. He went out to the village to tell them of what had happened and to get help. The villagers all agreed that somebody should follow the tunnel and see where it led. They asked for a volunteer, and one young man with a keen sense of adventure stepped forward. Taking only a candle, he entered the tunnel as the group of onlookers grew, everyone eager to find out where it led. As the man got further along the tunnel, it got darker. The ceiling got lower, the walls got narrower, until it was only barely large enough for him to crawl along. There was no draught, but suddenly his candle went out, and he was swallowed up by complete darkness. The man considered heading back to get his candle relit, but suddenly his blood ran cold, and every hair on his body stood on end. The silence was broken by a deep growling noise, and it came from right in front of his face. Before he even had time to react, he was attacked by something, or someone. He screamed out for help, but the crowd were fearful, and no one was willing to go to his aid. He screamed again, and again, this time shouting to God, asking for help in desperation, then silence. The horrific noises and the sound of a struggle stopped. The terrified locals locked the door, buried the key, and never spoke of the secret tunnel ever again. Langley Castle Hotel One of Northumberland's most magnificent buildings is a medieval fortified castle house, Langley Castle. Set in the picturesque Tyndale countryside, Langley Castle was built in 1350 by Sir Thomas de Lucy as a great H-shaped tower of four storeys. In 1403, Thomas was killed at the Battle of Shrewsbury by Henry Bolingbroke, later to become Henry IV. Thomas's wife, Maud, received news of her husband's death and she was overcome with grief. The man she loved had been killed and she couldn't face life without him. She walked up to the battlements and almost in a trance-like state, she threw herself over the side to her inevitable death below. In 1405, the castle was impacted by Henry IV again, as it was severely damaged when it was attacked and burned by the king's forces in a battle with the Percy army. The castle was left empty for many years. It then became the property of James Radcliffe, the third Earl of Derwentwater in the late 17th century, until he was executed in 1716 for his part in the Jacobite Rising. After James's death, Langley Castle, along with Radcliffe's other estates, were confiscated by the Crown. In 1882, Cadwalla Bates, a local historian, bought the castle. He began restoration with his wife Josephine, and it became his life's work. Cadwalla died in 1902, and Josephine carried on the restoration, joined by her niece, Jean La Pagelec, a young French girl, who came over to England to keep her widowed aunt company. They rebuilt the original chapel on the castle roof, as a lasting tribute to her husband's memory. They worked tirelessly on the castle, until Josephine's death in 1933. She was buried alongside her husband in a vault in the shadow of the castle they dedicated their lives to. Today, the castle is open as a luxurious multi-award winning hotel. It's set in a 10-acre wooded estate. Finding a more tranquil hotel for a relaxing weekend away will certainly be a challenge. Men's Health magazine voted the hotel as one of the top 10 most romantic hideaways in the UK. Despite this idyllic picture, Langley Castle has a much darker side just waiting to be discovered. Langley Castle's most famous ghostly resident is Maud de Lucy, the tragic widow of the creator of the castle. She is better known as the Grey Lady, and her death has been replayed many times, with people witnessing a woman falling from the battlements. 
As is common with this type of phenomena, when they run to her aid, the woman has vanished. She has also been seen in the Great Hall and standing on the battlements staring out into the distance. A number of people have reported hearing a bell ringing from the northwest tower. However, there is no bell in the tower. In 1901, Cadwalla Bates had installed a great bell called St Cuthbert's, which had been cast in 1617, but it's since been removed and donated to Ampleforth College. Many people have reported hearing murmured French voices in the drawing room, and also on the guard robe stairs, even though they were alone at the time. This could well be the spirit of Jean Lapagelec in conversation with her Aunt Josephine having remained, in death, at the place that they spent many years lovingly restoring to its former glory. There have been several reports over the last 200 years of people witnessing the castle burning and being attacked by hundreds of soldiers. In 1799, the Duke of Northumberland sent a message to the castle. However, the messenger returned to the Duke and said that he couldn't deliver the message because he couldn't get near the castle as it was on fire and it was being sacked by hundreds of armed men. The messenger returned to the castle on the Duke's orders and was amazed to find that there was no sign of any attack taking place and there was no damage whatsoever to the castle. When he delivered the message and spoke to the staff at the castle, they had no idea what he was talking about. Ghostly replays have been reported all over the world, and at Langley Castle, it seems that the events of 1405, when the castle was attacked and burned, have somehow been recorded for eternity. Back in 2008, I spoke to Langley Castle Hotel's general manager Anton Phillips about Langley's resident ghosts, and he told me his thoughts. Many guests have come to Langley and seen and heard many strange things. In my opinion, if you are susceptible to that type of thing, you can see or make out all manner of images from shadows and tricks in the light. That might not be the romantic ideal, and is not always what guests want to hear. What good is a castle without a ghost? However, we have had guests who checked out, having paid their bill in full and without staying the night, who are adamant that they've seen or heard something, and as a result, would not spend one more minute in the castle. Dilston Castle and Chapel in 1417, Sir William Caxton built Dilston Castle, a three-storey tower house. In the early 17th century, the Dilston heiress married Edward Radcliffe, and Edward had a private chapel built adjoining the tower in 1616. The chapel was built so that the devout Roman Catholic Radcliffe family could worship their god in secret, as it was against the law to do so. The chapel was built with money, originally raised to finance the gunpowder plot, and Guy Fawkes is believed to have spent some time at Dilston, a decade earlier, shortly before his execution. The Radcliffe family made many improvements over the next century, including the building of a new manor house which incorporated the original tower. In 1709, developments began to replace the manor house with a large mansion. However, the mansion was never completed due to the property being seized by the Crown in 1716. The events leading to Dilston Castle being taken away from the Radcliffe family introduces us to the castle's most famous ghost, James Radcliffe, the last Earl of Derwentwater. James Radcliffe was a quiet young man. He lived here at Dilston Castle with his young wife Anna Maria and their young child. These were troubled times with constant wars and revolts, but the Earl was content with his life and managed to steer clear of trouble. But during the Jacobite Rising, his wife encouraged him to become involved with a conspiracy to reinstate a Scottish king, a Stuart, to the throne. He was a peace-loving man and he had no intention of going to war. 
However, she persisted until the Earl relented and took up arms. He rounded up a troop of around 300 local men and they headed off to battle. Things didn't go to plan. The rebellion folded, James surrendered, and on the 10th of January 1716, he was sentenced to death. He was only 26 years old. On the night of February the 23rd, 1716, the evening before James would face the executioner's axe at Tower Hill, the aurora borealis shone brightly in the night sky over the region. This was taken as a sign, and in Northumberland, the northern lights would forever be known as Lord Derwentwater's lights. The following morning, there was a terrible thunderstorm, and the river Derwent was said to have had hundreds of adders swimming in it. This had never been seen before, and has never been seen since, but the locals believed each one of the snakes represented the spirits of one of James Radcliffe's fallen men. Prior to his execution, Radcliffe claimed he was guilty of nothing. He affirmed his adherence to the Roman Catholic faith, and expressed his loyalty to James III. The Earl paid a generous sum to his executioner, in the hope of a swift dispatch. However, the executioner's first attempt was too low, and it cut his neck wide open, but did not sever it completely. The executioner's second blow was too high, and the axe became lodged in the back of James's skull. He was still alive, but he was in agony, with blood gushing, and he was no doubt praying that the end would come quickly. The executioner struggled to remove the axe from James's head, but once the axe was free, the third and final blow completed the task of ending the Earl's life. The Earl's embalmed body was brought back to Dilston, and it was laid in the chapel near the hall. Many years later it was moved to the Radcliffe family home in Essex. Unusually, the ghost of James Radcliffe takes three different forms. The grisly, more tragic sighting is a lonely, headless man walking the woods near the Devil's Water. Visitors have seen a happy couple on a bridge in the grounds. When they have approached, they have simply vanished. This is believed to be the Earl and Anna Maria, reunited in death. The final incarnation of the spirit of James Radcliffe has been reported over 100 times in the area around Dilston. Witnesses have described between 40 and several hundred men on horseback riding over the Northumbrian countryside, often in broad daylight. The ghostly riders are said to be the ghost of the Earl and his troops, heading off to the battle unaware of the horrors that await them. A strange ghostly light has been seen shining from the top of Dilston Tower. This is claimed by many to be a spiritual beacon, set there to guide James's spirit home. The ghost of a grey lady has been seen at the top of the tallest tower and also in the chapel. This is the ghost of Anna Maria Radcliffe, waiting anxiously for her husband to return home from battle. Since the castle was reopened to the public in 2003, there has been all manner of paranormal activity reported by visitors. A man in a curly wig has been seen at a window in the castle, staring at visitors. Cold spots appear in the chapel, and a feeling of being watched is a common occurrence. One of the more terrifying phenomena is shadowy figures actually chasing people along the roads around the castle. Mitford Castle Mitford Castle was built in around 1138 by William Bertram, and it was constructed on the site of an Anglo-Saxon fort overlooking the River Wandsbeck. The castle was built with a pentagonal keep, the only five-sided castle keep in England. The village of Mitford was burned to the ground in 1215 by King John's troops as a reprisal for Roger Bertram's support for the Northern Barons' uprising against King John that led to the signing of the Magna Carta. Mitford Castle was badly damaged in the attack 
and by 1317 the castle was in ruins, never to be restored. During the attack of Mitford, the village church was also badly damaged, later to be rebuilt in the 19th century. The church is associated with a famous ghost hunting vicar, the late Jack Richardson. In 1934, two young boys were playing in the castle ruins at dusk, when they heard a scream which stopped them in their tracks. The ghost of a warrior leapt out of the shadows of the castle in front of the terrified young boys. The warrior had a great sword in one hand, and in the other, he held a severed head. The blood-curdling scream came again, but it was not the warrior who screamed. The scream came from the head. With this, the boys ran in fear for their lives, not daring to look back. To this day, it's said that screams can be heard coming from ruined Mitford Castle after dark. Upon visiting Mitford, a visit to nearby Morbeth is also recommended. The historic town of Morbeth has a rich history, and the parish church St Mary's was a popular target for grave robbers during the 18th and 19th centuries. Morbeth has a unique claim, for it is home to a haunted bench. Some years back, a man by the name of Turnbull was attacked as he sat on a bench on Bridge Street. He had his throat slit, but he did not die. Ever since, there have been a number of attacks reported by people sat on that very bench. People have said that they've had their hair pulled, others have experienced their throats being held by unseen hands, as if they are being strangled. Kalali Castle It's not ghosts we're looking at here, rather one of the other supernatural entities to be found in Northumberland. There are countless stories stretching back in time to the very earliest writings of Northumberland, of fairies, those tiny magical beings from folktales the world over. There are stories of fairies all over the UK, however Northumberland seems to have more than its fair share. And given the vast, remote areas of land, and the often troubled and forever mysterious history that the land has encountered, it's hardly surprising that these fairy folk have decided to make Northumberland their home. One such tale of fairies can be found at Kalali Castle, in the village of Kalali, ten miles west of Anik. Although there are actually two castles by this name, and the cause of this is the fairies. Back in the 12th century, the Lord of Kalali decided to build a castle atop a hill, as it would offer clear views for miles around and would be a better form of defence against the Scots, as relationships with their neighbours north of the border remained uneasy, and the English, especially those just south of the border, were always at risk of Scottish raids. However, the Lady of Kalali wanted the castle down in the valley, where it will be protected from the wind and be a more comfortable family home. The Lord's mind wasn't to be changed, and so he began with construction of his castle. Little did he know that he was actually building atop a fairy hill, and understandably the fairies were not happy about plans to build upon their home. So every day, after nightfall, they would pull the walls down and scatter stones far and wide. Each morning the Lord couldn't understand, so after several days of this, he decided to hide on the hill one night and see who was dismantling his castle. When he saw the fairies taking apart his castle, he decided to go with his wife's preference and build the castle down in the valley instead. There is an old Northumbrian rhyme which goes with this tale. Kalali Castle built on a height, up in a day, down in a night. Builders down in the shepherd shore, it will stand forever and never fall. And this is what came to pass, and as it says in the rhyme, the castle stands to this very day, albeit converted into residential flats. Evidence of the first castle, despite the tale saying it was pulled down, can still be seen, 
in the woods, an earthwork hill fort atop a hill, a little off the beaten path. You can follow How Haunted on Twitter at at HowHauntedPod or over on Instagram at HowHauntedPod where you will see photos galore relating to the castles of Northumberland. If you want to get in touch, you can do so by visiting the website at www.how-haunted.com or you can email me at rob at how-haunted.com If you'd like to support the show, you can sign up to one of three Patreon tiers. They start at as little as £1. You can get early ad-free access to all of the episodes and a monthly bonus episode where I conduct a paranormal investigation, talking you through the history, the ghost stories and what happened on the night itself. This is interspersed with audio from the ghost hunt. You can also get yourself some How Haunted merch, including a mug and a t-shirt. Find out more by going to patreon.com forward slash howhauntedpod. If you'd like to support the show but aren't a fan of Patreon, why not donate £2 at buymeacoffee.com forward slash howhauntedpod. All the information and links are in the podcast episode description. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please consider leaving a review on your podcast provider of choice. It really does help other people to find How Haunted. Next time out, we continue to look at the haunted castles of Northumberland. Thank you so much for accompanying me for our paranormal adventures once again. Stay safe, and join me next time, when we will once again ask the question, How Haunted? How Haunted?